welcome everyone. This morning my message entitled Two is Better Than One. When you go somewhere or do something, who likes having somebody with you to um, share and enjoy things with, to show and experience things together? I think it's so much better when you've got someone to share that with than to just go out on your own. And um, it just makes it so much more enjoyable. But um, I want you to know this morning that we are in covenant with a mighty God, amen? And that mighty God loves us and he wants to commune with us. And he's always trying to do that. But more importantly, he longs that we would want to tabernacle, commune with him and love him and spend time with him. That's what he wants. He wants us to reciprocate. It's not much fun when someone's always giving and the other person's taking. Like when you're in a partnership or with somebody, it's good when they reciprocate what you're doing or to give back to you. And then you don't feel like you're being drained. You don't feel like you're always giving and not receiving. And, and God is like that. He's always available to us and he's always there for us. But we don't take the opportunity and most of us are like the rest of us. We don't take the time to want to spend time with God, to want to spend time in his word because more so these days than ever, like people are pressured with time and so forth and for some reason God isn't always on the priority list. He isn't on the top of that list of things to do. More likely than not, most of us put God somewhere down the list and when we finish doing what we've got to do, that's when we decide that we might have a bit of time to give to God. But... God's wanting us to place him first place in our life. And he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all those other things will be added unto you. So all those other things that you want to do, all those other things that you want to achieve will be so much easier to achieve and they will just happen because God will be in on it. The Holy Spirit will be with you. And um, there's some powerful verses in the Bible For instance, in Romans 8, 31, it says, If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, what a mighty scripture that is. That that makes you feel strong and powerful, doesn't it? If God is for us, then who can be against us? That means nothing can stand against us. What about this one in John 4, 4? Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We have no need to fear because God is greater than than anything, any power or might or dominion or principality that might try and come against you. God says he's bigger and stronger than anything in the universe. So what do we have to fear? We shouldn't fear anything. What about in Isaiah 54? It says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that rises up against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. I mean, how can we think when you read scriptures like this, you ask yourself and I ask you today if there are so many powerful scriptures and these are only three of, of many, many, many powerful scriptures that God is trying to get through to us that this is who is a back of us, this is who has our back And why wouldn't we want to get to know him? Why wouldn't we seek him? Why wouldn't we want to know what his word says when there are these powerful truths lying in there for us to partake of? 
But sadly, they are only words if we don't know who God is. If we don't take those words and have them as truth in our lives, they are just like clanging symbols. They're not going to help us. It's just like reading another comic or another book. They're just words on the page. But you know, the Word of God says that the Word of God is living and powerful. Living and powerful. It has the ability to change lives. It has the ability to change circumstances. It has the ability to change hearts. But so often we feel alone, we feel neglected, we feel left out because we don't take a hold of God truth and we don't spend the time with God and we don't get it on the inside of us saying these words are true, what God is saying. We shouldn't fear anything. We shouldn't be dismayed. We shouldn't feel lonely. There's so many things we shouldn't feel if we know that God's word is true. And we all know that God's word is true. I know that you know that God's word is true. But it's getting it to drop from our head to our heart. Like a child doesn't question its parents. It just comes in simple faith, asks a question, asks or demands for something, and they know that mum and dad will give it to them. They don't need to know how, where, why or when. They just know that if I go and ask mum and dad, they'll help me. And that's what God wants us to come to him, just that we will trust his word and trust who we are in Christ Jesus, trust the work of the cross and what has been done is a reality in our own lives. So that's the hard bit, the hard bit from here to here. But God's word is spirit and it is life. And Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. But until those scriptures drop into our heart and become spirit, they're not going to bring that life. In Genesis chapter 1, in, in verse 26 and then on to 27, it said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Take note that it's in the plural. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Because we all know that the Godhead is a three-part being, Father, Son and the Holy Ghost. Three persons in one. In verse 27 it goes on to say, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. The only way one man but he created them because he was a three-part being, just like God is a three-part being. And God never intended that man should be alone because when he created Adam, he looked at Adam and he said that you need a helpmate. You need someone to share this paradise with. You need someone to talk with. You need someone who wants to get excited with you when you get excited and sad when you're sad. Isn't it good when... Even when you're sad, it's good to have someone you can share it with because a, a, a burden shared is a burden halved. So we were never created to be alone. We were created to be with other people. We were created to talk with other people. We were created to talk with God and commune with God. And many times in the Bible, Jesus likened us to sheep. And he said, I, Jesus, am the good shepherd and you are my sheep. And my sheep know my voice. 
You know, and anyone who knows a little bit about sheep, they aren't the, the smartest animal on earth. And so you think, well, God's likening us to sheep. So, But if you think about it, it's true. Because sheep are easy prey. If they're attacked, they just give up. They lay down. They die silent deaths. There's not much of a struggle going on. You know, and we become easy prey to the enemy when we don't have our guard up, when we don't have the armour of God on. People are easy prey for the enemy. Because we are people who like to congregate together, we like to be, be led by somebody. And so we can easily follow somebody and, or something and it may not be the right thing. But we tend to want to follow. So we are a little bit like sheep. Sheep scatter easily. A bit of a sound and they just... Voom, and they don't run together. They go 15 different ways. Sheep, they have no homing instinct. So when they wander off aimlessly chewing, they don't take any notice of where they're going, but they don't have any homing instinct. If you let a horse go out, at, you know, 10 miles from home, let him go, he'll find his way home. He'll walk into the homestead. If you take a dog out pigging, doing something, and the dog gets lost, it will have a homing instinct. It knows where to come back to. But sheep just get lost. And Jesus said, all ye like sheep have gone astray, each one his own way. We want to do our own thing. We want to wander off on our own. And we get so easily lost, just like the sheep would. And then we get so far in that we forget where our home is. We forget who our father is. We forget where we should be. Sheep drown easily. If they try and drink from running water, they don't realise that that big ball of fur all over them absorbs water. And so they quickly and easily are swept into a river. And that's why Jesus said that he would lead us beside still waters where we wouldn't drown, where we wouldn't get washed away. So do you see why the Lord likens us to a flock of sheep? Because very much we are like sheep. But Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Do you know that it, you can have three or four herds of sheep in a, in a corral and when the shepherd comes in the morning, he calls his sheep and all his sheep will come out of the other sheep and follow him. You know, that's what God wants us to be like. He wants us to be attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit that when he says something to us, that we respond because we know his voice. We should not get confused and say, is that God or is that the enemy? We should know God's voice. But how can we know God's voice if we don't know who God is, if we don't believe in what God is saying about us, if we don't trust him? And that's why it's so important to be in the word of God, reading the word of God learning about God and responding to the Holy Spirit. Matthew eighteen eleven to 14 reads, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. 
What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over the sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones would perish. He is the good shepherd. He wants not one of us to stray. And who knows when you're chasing a mob of cattle and one heads out, doesn't want to follow the system, doesn't want to do what's right, do you just let him go? Jono, do you just let him head to the hills? No. You go after that beast. You go after it at all costs and you bring that beast back to the mob. Tie it up if you have to, throw it and tie it up. But it does not get out because if it gets out, then next time it'll take another beast with it and another beast. And before you know it, you're holding one and the 99 are out there. So this is how it happens. We all go astray. But Jesus said that he would will that not one would perish. And it was just like Jeff's message on the prodigal son last week that the father rejoiced over the son that went astray and then came home, came to his senses and he came home again. And the other son was angry because he said, I've been here all the time and I didn't have a party and you don't treat me like this. But the father was joyful that that son that was lost had found his way back to the father. We need to find our way back to the Father. We need to be in communion with the Holy Spirit. You know, there's safety in numbers. <clears throat> a few years ago, Wayne and I were on a cattle station, Dalamere, in the Northern Territory, and we were driving around doing the waters, and we came across a mob of cattle, and they were just quietly eating there. But when we looked closer, there was about six dingoes and they were all just strategically placed on the outside of the mob. And they just sat there. They weren't in a hurry. They weren't impatient. They weren't making any noise. They were just sitting there. And they sat there for so long that the cattle no longer were afraid of them. The cattle just put their heads down and started eating. But, you know, we sat there and watched those dogs. And strategically, as time went on, the dogs just slowly moved in a little bit more and a little bit more and they just sat there. They didn't make any sudden moves. And before too long, they had managed to get a cow and a calf on their own away from the mob. So now the dogs were no longer interested in the, the mob of cattle. They had a cow and a calf on their own and they sat there and they just settled down again and the cow no longer was fidgety, it was no longer looking around and it just started eating the grass and slowly but surely those dingoes worked their way so that then the calf was segregated from the mother. Well, that's when we intervened. But if we hadn't have intervened, that's when the enemy would have attacked. That's when the dog would have grabbed that calf that's when the enemy had come, would come in. And that's why it's a dangerous thing for us to be alone and to isolate ourselves because you are easy picking for the enemy to come in and take out just like that.
to take it out. We go to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse um, 12. And it says, Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. One man on his own against another man could be overtaken. Two men against another person, they can withstand. But three is not easily broken, a three-strand cord. And we know that the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit represent the threefold, the three-strand cord. When you have, there is safety in numbers, amen? Safety in numbers. There was another dingo episode on that same property and Wayne was doing a water run and there was an injured wiener on its own drinking from the trough. And it was about mid-afternoon, so the mob had left the water hole, the trough, and there was a lone wiener there and it was injured. And out, when you looked out from the trough on the cattle pads coming into the trough, there were three dingoes just sitting out there. They weren't worried, didn't have a care in the world. And, you know, it was almost like that, that cow, that weaner knew. Wayne said it took a drink, slurped up the water, turned around, looked out at the cattle paths leading away from the trough, gave a brrrr and just started limping towards the dogs. And we know the fate of that wiener because it was easily taken down. It was solitary. It was alone. No numbers, no one to help it, and it knew what was going to happen. You know, and often in the Bible, Jesus talked where he sent the disciples out two by two. When the 70 came along, they went out two by two because there's safety in numbers. There's safety in numbers. We can multiply our efforts. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 30. And it says that one puts 10,000 to flight, but two puts 10,000. That's a principle of multiplication. So one can put 1,000 to flight you would think that two would put 2,000 to flight, but the Bible says that two puts 10,000 to flight. And that's the, the godly principle of multiplication in numbers when we stand together. There's power and agreement. Two are better than one, stronger and more powerful. <clears throat> the testimony of one witness was not considered sufficient to convict somebody, and we can read that in Deuteronomy 35, verse 30. In fact, you needed two or three witnesses to establish that a person had committed a crime. Two or three witnesses, not one person's hearsay. You can be strengthened when you're together, and we read that in Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 25. Twenty-three to twenty-five. 
Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. You know, when COVID struck, the enemy struck because people weren't allowed to gather on a Sunday. People weren't allowed to come together to encourage one another, to uplift one another, to hear God's word together, to pray together, to lift up those who had fallen, to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. COVID came in, they made people go home and they isolated people. And yes, it's all right, you can read God's word at home, that's true. But the Bible says, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together because when we come together, we can strengthen and encourage one another. And you know, COVID did that isolation thing. It was doing what the dingo did to the cow and the calf. They were isolating people. And who's noticed since COVID is all over that a lot of people haven't come back to church? It's a deception of the enemy. A lot of people are sitting at home now thinking, well, I can just watch this on YouTube or I can put this one on and, and that. And so they've forgotten that the Bible says, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. And it also says here that it says so much more when we see the day approaching, when we see the return of the Lord, it is even more important that we gather together. It is more important that we encourage each other and stand beside each other as we see the day approaching. <clears throat> we have protection in numbers. Let's look at First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion or a dingo, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You know, to resist implies an assertive stance against the enemy. It's not passive. It's an assertive, aggressive stance and his operations and schemes. He has one tactic and one tactic alone. And we all know that the devil comes to rob, to kill and destroy. He's out there to bring you down. He's out there to bring you down. He's out there to derail you. You as a Christian have to have a bounty on you. He's after you. He doesn't want us to succeed. And this is why it's so important that we need to have God's word on the inside it but more importantly, to believe and trust in God's word. We must be spiritually alert and on guard. We should be clothing ourselves with the armour of God and you'll find the armour of God in Ephesians chapter 6, 10 to 18 and opposing him in, in prayer and spiritual warfare. You know, we have to be demonstrative. We have to be active. We have to be out there forcefully being on guard, being alert. We can't fall asleep. We are the watchmen on the tower. Who's going to sound the alarm if we can't look after ourselves? Deuteronomy 25, verse 17 and 18. 
this down because this is um, when the children of Israel were coming across in the wilderness and they came against enemies and whatnot. And they're reminded, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear when they were tired and weary and he did not fear God. See, when we don't have reverential fear for God, when we're weak, when we're straggling, when we're lagging behind, when we're not spiritually fit, we're on the end of the mob. What happens to people on the end of the mob? Picture of the cow and the calf, picture of the wiener at the trough. You're an easy target. The enemy's going to bring you down. That's where he's going to attack. You don't... Anyone knows... I had a fellow one day said, oh, you know, it's not really fair, like... It's not fair, you pick on me all the time. And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, you're much bigger than I am. And the fellow said, well, I'd be silly to pick on someone that was bigger than me, wouldn't I? And that's what the enemy does. He's going to pick on the weakest and the stragglers. He's going to pick on those that are hanging at the back. He's going to pick on those that don't know what God's word says, that don't put on the armour of God, that don't pray. That's who the enemy's chasing. Psalms chapter 1, 1 to 3 tells us what the godly man should do. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Joshua was like that, wasn't he? And he took over from Moses. It said that Joshua meditated day and night. He shall be like a tree, this is your reward, planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. Whatever he does shall prosper. So it doesn't matter what you put your hand to, it's going to prosper. But you know, it says that um, to choose your friends wisely. Some of us don't have many friends, but the ones we do, make sure you choose them wisely because bad company corrupts good habits and you will come down. The company you keep will bring you down. So choose your friends wisely, young people. Choose good character in people. Choose people with integrity and honesty, righteousness. Make godly choices because those questionable characters will bring you down. But God says those that delight in him will be blessed. You know, I've just been reading through um, Moses in the wilderness and I was really like, I felt really sorry for Moses because he was a man alone, you know. he, 40 years, he was too much Egyptian to be Hebrew and yet too much Hebrew to be Egyptian and he finally found out who is, where his roots are after 40 years and then he got sent out into the wilderness for another 40 years and then God decides to turn up and says, righto Moses, you're right for the assignment and he calls Moses to deliver the children out of 400 years of bondage out of Egypt and Moses doubted that he was able to do it, like most of us do. We doubt when God calls us to do something. But you know the scripture I read, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It's not us, it's who's on the inside of us that's going to do the work. 
And so Moses goes to deliver the people and then they spend 40 years in the desert roaming around aimlessly and all this time the people whinged and they whined and they complained and nothing was good enough and they got to a stage that without a leader, any time Moses went up on the mountain to speak to God, as soon as he turned around, they went and did their own thing. They'd forgotten all the miracles. They'd forgotten how the Red Sea opened. They'd forgotten how they were delivered all the spoils of the Egyptians, great riches. They forgot about the manna that was divinely given to them. They forgot all the great signs, wonders and miracles that God had done for them. As soon as their leader went up on the hill for a few days, they decided to do their own thing. And then Moses had to come down and then he'd have to pull them into line again. And this sort of was just a continuous thing round and round the mountain. And um, then I got to the part where Moses did one little thing. He disobeyed God the second time. He struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock when he was trying to get water for the people. And God said, because you disobeyed me, you will not see, you will not enter the promised land. So this man, he's now 120 years old. And I'm now reading the part where God says, well, you're going to die soon, Moses. And you won't be seeing the promised land. I'll show it to you from the top of the mountain. And I thought, and these people that had continually turned against God, continually complained, and yet here they were. They were still going in. And then if that wasn't bad enough, God stood there and he told Moses after Moses had reiterated all the laws and all the commandments for the third time, he stood there and told Moses that the people were going to be stiff-necked and they weren't going to follow his commandments and they were going to turn away and worship other gods. And this is on Moses' deathbed. And I thought, that poor guy. But, you know, Moses wasn't worried about the people because he had to be worried about his relationship with God and what he was doing and he just wanted to please God and that's what he did. So whatever you're facing... Put God in the middle of it. Doesn't matter what people are saying. Doesn't matter what, what the majority want to do. If it's not what God's told you to do, don't do it. If, it's, if you're not with the popular group, and if you're a Christian, you probably aren't with the popular group, it doesn't matter. If that's where God wants you and you're doing what God wants you to do, stick there. Stick there. John fourteen sixteen. John 14, 16 says, And I will pray the Father, Jesus is speaking, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. We need never be alone. It doesn't matter how many friends you have because we always have the Father. We always have the Son. But most importantly, we always have the Holy Spirit because when Jesus left, the Father, he said, I will send you another comforter. I will send you someone who will help you. I will send you someone who's going to lead you, someone who's going to guide you, someone who's going to teach you, someone you can talk to and be with and tabernacle with and commune with and get to know. I'm giving you another comforter. That's why Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake me. Yes, he left 
physically he left the earth, but he said, I'll send you another comforter because God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are the same and one person. But now we have the Holy Spirit. You know, Moses talked to God, talked to God all the time. The disciples talked to Jesus. They walked with him and learnt from him. We are to talk to the Holy Spirit because that is the person who has been sent to minister to us and for us. He said he will be with us forever, forever. You know, we can know him and have fellowship with him. He should be our first and greatest friend. He should be our first port of call when we have a question or, or a worry or a concern or if we want to share something. The Holy Spirit's the one that we should be turning to. The Holy Spirit is a person. And some of us, you say the Holy Spirit and immediately you think of a ghost on TV or something, don't you? Something wispy and wavy and transparent, you can see through it. But, you know, the Holy Spirit is a person. He laughs, he cries, he has feelings, just like we do. He is a person. He's not airy-fairy. He's a person. And, you know, in the Bible, he's likened to like a dove. And if you look at a dove, a dove is gentle. A dove is quiet. A dove is soft. You know, the Holy Spirit is not rude. He doesn't intrude. He doesn't push his way into your life. He doesn't overpower you, even though he's the most powerful spirit in the universe. He is gentle. He's a gentleman. And he will not come into your life unless you ask him. Are we asking him to come in? Before we read the Bible, are we asking him to reveal us the things of the Father? Are we asking him to help us understand what the scriptures are saying to us? Because the Holy Spirit is the one that's been sent to do that. You know, the Holy Spirit is a power of the Godhead. Without the Holy Spirit, there was no power. He was the one who gave Stephen, the, the one that was stoned and martyred. He was the power on the inside of Stephen that allowed him to endure. And, you know, Stephen at the same time saw the Father and the Son seated at the Father's hand and the Holy Spirit was the one, the power that gave him to endure that. He was the one who gave Moses the power to deliver the children from Israel. The Holy Spirit was a power in the life of Joshua. He was a force behind the wind that opened the Red Sea. The Holy Spirit was a mighty power that smashed the walls of Jericho. He was the energy behind the rock that killed Goliath. He was the power behind the ministry of Jesus himself. Jesus would not move without the Holy Spirit. He would not preach without the Holy Spirit. He would not lay hands on the sick without the Holy Spirit. He would not cast out devils without the Holy Spirit. In Luke 4, 18, we read where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, 
to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus did nothing without the Holy Spirit. So who are we to think we can do things without the Holy Spirit? We forget him. We don't honour him the way we should. In, in 1 Corinthians, it says, <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse 9 to 10, and it reads, when I find it, chapter 2, 9 and 10, it says, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. That's why it's the Holy Spirit that's our teacher and our comforter and our guide and our leader. Because he is the one, when we ask him, that will reveal the Father's heart to us. He is the one that will reveal the scripture to us concerning the things of God. You know, Paul had aligned himself so much so with the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit that nothing could hold him down. No chains, no shackle, no prison, no threats from the crowd. Nothing could deter Paul because he had aligned himself with the Holy Spirit. And he was communing with the Holy Spirit. And even unto death it did not bother him because he knew where he was going. And he knew his cause and he knew his place and he knew the power and authority that God had invested in him. And those scriptures that I read at the beginning, Paul knew those scriptures inside out, on the inside he knew them. And he knew that nothing could touch him. Even if they took his life, it didn't matter. He knew where he was going and he knew the Holy Spirit and he was bold and he was brave because he knew the person who was on the inside of him. Christ, the hope of glory. He's on the inside of us. The Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of you and he wants to help you. We need to start making more time. And you know, on just no different to the rest of you, but the last three weeks I've been deliberately making an effort to talk to the Holy Spirit. And before I read the word, I ask the Holy Spirit to reveal things to me and show me things. And guess what? It's working. It's working. It can't not work. Little by little, line upon line, precept upon precept, I'm seeing things that I've never seen before because the Holy Spirit has to be asked. If we don't ask him, he's not going to help you because you don't need his help. We're all too clever on our own. But I wanted to bring up that scripture and I had it here and I'm not going to read it because Kath read it in, in John 12:24. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It remains only a single. You're on your own. You have to die to self. This is what the scriptures are talking about. It's not about us. It's all about Christ Jesus. It's his will. It's his plan. It's his work on earth. We're just instruments to be used by him. 
we must decrease and he must increase. And you know, if we die, when the, the grain of wheat dies and falls to the ground, what happens? It begins to sprout. Life comes again. And when the, the bush grows up and it gets a head of grain, there's not one grain on the head anymore. There's a hundred grains. It multiplies. So if we die to self, if we take up our cross and follow him, if we ask the Holy Spirit and we say, Jesus, let me decrease and you increase in my life, we will be victorious. Amen. Father, I just thank you for your word today, Father. I thank you, Lord, that your word is true and powerful and living and sharper than any two-edged sword. I thank you, Father, that you did send us the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you today. We, we honour you, Holy Spirit, and we love you in this place. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to reveal yourself to every heart in this, this auditorium today, that every heart would know you and start to call on you and talk to you and commune with you. And you will show them great and mighty things. The secrets of God will be revealed to them. And we love you, Holy Spirit, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.